You know, there are many things in the Christian life that are not black and white. There's a whole lot of gray stuff uh, in matters of dress, entertainment, uh, how we observe Sabbath, all these kinds of things. And in these areas, people have what we might call conservative opinions or liberal opinions. But you can't quite fix people into those categories because a person who has what we might call a conservative viewpoint on one subject may have a very liberal viewpoint on another. I know people, for example, who will not shop on Sundays, but social drinking is not an issue for them. I know others for whom shopping on Sundays is no big problem at all, but they wouldn't touch alcohol. So you can't call them liberal, you can't call them conservative. And most of us who hold opinions on these matters are firmly entrenched in those positions. And we are convinced that what we believe is right. But pause with me for a moment and imagine the confusion this causes for new Christians who walk into a church. (laughs) They've got mature Christians on one side who are telling them this is also part of your Christian faith. And other mature Christians are saying, no, no, this is part of your Christian faith. That's a very definite potential for tension. And not only that, there's potential for conflict as well. If Karen, who believes viewpoint A, discovers that I'm giving Candace viewpoint B advice contrary to what she has done, she and I can be in conflict. Churches have been known to divide over issues like this. Parents and older teenagers have arguments over this kind of stuff. Now add to this the fact that new Christians do need some guidelines for living as well. So how are mature Christians, how are mature congregations supposed To respond in cases like this. One of the best answers comes from a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. From which we are even getting that list on the fruit of the spirit. He wrote to the the letter that we call the Galatians. Letter to the Galatians. Let me give you some background to that letter. Paul ministered in his first missionary journey. He traveled mostly through what we know as modern day Turkey. Establishing churches. Many Gentiles, non-Jewish people came to Jesus. Along with people who were known as Hellenistic Jews. They were people who lived outside of Jerusalem and and the Palestine in the diaspora as it was called. And they were Greek speaking people. But Jewish background. There was also a movement known as the Judaizers. The Judaizers were mostly likely people from a Hebrew speaking Jewish background. Who had become followers of Jesus. But they felt that, or believed very strongly. That you have to complete that process by also embracing the Mosaic law, especially circumcision and the food laws. Because circumcision and the food laws acted as boundary markers. They defined who the real people of God were compared to the rest. And so they went wherever Paul had gone and they preached this. Putting pressure upon converts from a Gentile background and probably from a Hellenistic Jewish background as well to say, you now need to complete this whole process. Having come to Christ, you also need to embrace the laws of Moses and specifically these two. Now you can imagine the confusion it would cause Gentiles. Here they were, having come from a pagan background of lawlessness and now supposedly mature Christians were accusing them of Christian lawlessness. At the same time, precisely because they came from a pagan background, they probably would need and feel a sense for some guidance on what life looks like now. So you could see how vulnerable they might be to the Judaizing movement. 
It would also, by the way, give them a sense of security. These boundary markers get me belonging to a certain community. So identity and security come in. So it was a real big issue. And as soon as Paul found out about it, he wrote Galatians. You can see how relevant and parallel that situation is to this hypothetical but realistic situation that I painted at the beginning in the situation we find ourselves in today. We don't have people coming from a Hellenistic Jewish background mostly. Mostly all of us are Gentiles. But we still have exactly these same kinds of tensions. The Judaizers gospel was a Jesus plus gospel. And there's a very, very real danger that in our eagerness to disciple Christians and move them along, we can slip into a Jesus plus gospel very carefully. And so what Paul had to say in Galatians is extremely relevant for you and for me. And you will see as we move along, that is very much part of the fruit of the Spirit and very much part of Pentecost Sunday as well. Paul's basic answer to the question is what theologians call the salvation history argument. We find the essence of it here. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as of you were baptized into Christ have, been, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul speaks about the function of the law. Uh, doing the function of a guardian. Who controlled external behavior. Especially of minors before they came, came of age. In that Roman, Greco-Roman society. He said, but now that Jesus has come, now that Christ has risen from the dead and the Holy Spirit has come, you are under new management. You live by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by external constraints. And so he asked them a couple of questions early on. He said, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the, faith, by, the, by the flesh? I mean, you came to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. You think you're going to complete the process by the flesh? The flesh for Paul refers not just to what you and I might think of the unhealthy, immoral or ungodly side. The flesh for Paul in Galatians as much is a way of living before God by our own strength and by our own power. And he opposes it to life in the Spirit. That's what he's talking about here. And so he continues on in the section from which we are getting our text. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the heart of Paul's argument against the Judaizers' Jesus plus gospel. 
It's the centrality of Jesus and the total sufficiency of the Holy Spirit to teach us how to live before God. That flesh and spirit do not mix. You can't make the two of them work together. It is the internal work of the Holy Spirit that will guide us to wise and correct living, not externally imposed laws. And he uses three phrases to describe this kind of a life. Walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and keeping in step with the Spirit. That's what I want to unpack for us this morning. Now, are these redundant phrases, are they all different ways of saying the same thing? Or did Paul have exclusive categories labeled by these three labels? I'm not quite sure about that. I suspect there's some overlap as well. But for practical purposes, to get a handle on it, I did some thinking about what each of these might involve. And so as you listen, it's far more important that you get the total picture. Maybe some of the things that I describe under one category, you'll say, oh no, that really belongs on the other. That's really not that important. What is important that you get some thrust of walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and keeping in step by the Spirit, what that involves. I'm going to draw upon my own experience, the experience of others whose lives have been privileged to walk with, things that I've read as well. So listen to it and modify it to suit your own uh, understanding of it. First of all, walking in the Spirit. Now, walking in the New Testament is regularly used of the normal, continuous dimensions of our life. Not the spectacular moments, not the times when we are at forks in the road and we need to make decisions like Wade needed to make, whether he was going to come here or not. Nothing like that. It's just what all Christians should be living at all the time. And so I think walking in the Spirit is the involvement of the Spirit in the regular ongoing Christianity, as it were, in our lives. What does it involve to have the Spirit in that? Well, the central text, I think, for me is uh, Paul writing in Corinthians. He says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, the things that God revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. That we might understand the things freely given by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What's Paul saying there? He's saying... Only the Spirit of God plumbs the depths of God's thoughts. Only the Spirit understands the thoughts of God. And this Holy Spirit then takes human beings like the Apostle Paul and causes them to understand the mind and the thoughts of God and then enables them to communicate that to people like you and me in words that are taught by the Holy Spirit, not just by human wisdom. And then that same Spirit works in our hearts and in our lives, that we can then receive these words that are given to us. And in this way, we become wise and mature people. That's what he's talking about here. And so, walking in the Spirit, in terms of our everyday life, is exactly this process working out. It's the Spirit working with the Word of God to make us wise men and wise women. Because we are receiving truth That is a reflection of the very thoughts of God in spirit-taught words to spirit-empowered men and women to spirit-enabled people. The most important thing we need to teach the people that we are mentoring, the new Christians that come into our midst, parents as we are teaching our children growing up, is this. 
And even this morning again, God just reinforced through my own personal encounter with the word and with him this morning. That this is the heart and the essence of our growth and our transformation. Now, as the Spirit speaks to us, then we need to appropriate that strength of the Spirit of God to then live out the things that we are reading and we are being instructed on. Let me give you some examples. Some, one, from, one or two from my own life and one from others as well. Both uh, and, and of different nature. I've tried to choose as, as wide a variety of examples as I can so you can get some understanding of what these three things look like. Walking in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. I've shared this particular one about from my life before with some of you, especially who've been here for a while. Actually, anybody who's been here for a long time doesn't hear anything new from me anyway. You know? You've heard all of this stuff before. So you need it by way of reminder, and others need it for the first time. Okay? Uh, you know, the central labor of my life is preaching and teaching. 25 hours of my week, every week, is devoted to that from start to finish. So really, a huge part of my life. And so for me to walk in the Spirit involves bringing the Spirit into this central labor of my life. And... There's a controlling image from scripture that has helped me. It's a vision that Ezekiel got of, a, of the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. Uh, for those who don't know the story, Ezekiel saw this valley of dry bones. He saw himself marking up and down. And in a series of conversations with God, he speaks to these bones and the bones get connected properly. Then they put flesh and skin on them and then life comes on them. And the whole thing rises up and becomes a vast army. In the local context, this is, of course, dry bones that are exposed are, are, are a sign of defilement. And so it is a picture of Israel in exile, defiled by her sin, but God bringing them back from exile. The resurrection is a metaphorical description of the exile there. But it's a very powerful picture that has helped me a lot, because when I start my process of studying every week, at least getting the sermon part together on Tuesday, I feel like I'm walking up and down a valley of bones. I've got all kinds of thoughts in my head. I've got stuff in my computer, books that I've read. And I don't even know whether these things are going to connect. It's my prayer every Tuesday morning. Lord, is there any hope that this stuff is going to get connected? (laughs) And so I pray. I pray for the Spirit of God like Ezekiel to come. Let the bones start rattling. Let them start getting connected. And Tuesday and most of Wednesday is a process of connecting all the bones together. Then I have to lament the fact that there's no flesh on them. That's Thursday. Thursday is when I actually write the sermon. I don't bring a sermon manuscript with me in here. But I've got to put the words on it. I need words taught by the Holy Spirit. They're not inspired like scripture is. But they still need to be taught by the Spirit. So I again command the Spirit of God to come upon that flesh. To give me the very words to speak. And I wait until I get the words right. And sometimes I get bogged down. I can't write. And so I stop and ask the Spirit of God again. Say, you got to give me some words. I don't know how to say this. And he does. <laughs> now comes stage three. That's Friday and Saturday. It's still not living. It's a dead manuscript. The skeleton is properly well connected. The got flesh and bones on it. But it's got to live if it's going to have any effect in you. And so Friday and Saturday I pray again for the Spirit of God to make this thing come alive so that by the time I stand here on Sunday, Saturday night and Sunday morning, there is some hope that with the Apostle Paul I can say, I have not come to speak with words of lofty wisdom and persuasive speech. No, I have come in weakness and in fear and in trembling, but I come in demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith might rest not in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. 
That's the whole purpose for this exercise. And I go through it week after week after week after week. That is what it means for me to walk in the spirit in the central labor of my life. And by the way, the one time before I remember sharing, there's one individual from this congregation whose everyday labor is out in the secular world said to me, there's no reason why I can't do this for my work. Now, I've never had a chance to follow up and to find out what they came up with. But it's a wonderful idea. Whatever your central labor of your life is, bring the spirit of God into that in this way. Dead bones need to come alive in your life as well. I do this, for example, also every time I sit with people, whether I'm doing pre-marriage counseling or whether I'm doing mentoring or whatever, my opening prayer deliberately and specifically invites the Holy Spirit into that situation so that the words that are spoken by me will be spirit-anointed, so my ears will be anointed, so I can hear what people are saying and listen to their hearts and not go through my own prejudices and prejudgments. So I just do that every time. Invite the Spirit into that situation. And in my own personal prayer time, the, whole, the Bible tells us that the Spirit helps us how to pray. So I specifically ask the Spirit of God to help me to pray that morning. And, and I learned this from Francis Chan in his book, The Forgotten God. Every Sunday, every time when I pray, I say, Lord, make it the best prayer time I've ever had with you before. So these are all the various ways in which I keep inviting the Spirit into the walking part of my life. Let me give you a very different kind of uh, uh, example of this. Again, it's not when you need direction or a fork in the road. It's living the life that you already know you have to live, but rather than taking place over a period of four days, it takes place very quickly. Uh, Henry Cloud and Townsend, their book, How People Grow, tell this story. And the book's got 300 pages in it. This one story is, I will never forget it as long as I live. I might forget everything else in the book. I won't forget this one. He tells the story of a woman named Julie who struggled a lot in the eating dimension of her life. She'd prayed a lot about it. She'd confessed many times of failure. She was really discouraged. And then he tells the story. He said her two most difficult tasks were turning from food and bringing people into her struggles. Because she tried to do it all by herself. She had been reading about how breaking patterns of behavior had to do with confessing to God and to others. And also finding the root causes driving the behavior. By the way, her reading is part of the walking. You know, that's the everyday part. We're accumulating wisdom from all kinds of sources. One night she found herself at home alone and wanting to eat ice cream, which she knew she did not need. She had just finished a healthy dinner an hour or so before. She remembered what her growth partners had told her. There's a spirit at work doing the work of reminding. When you feel tempted, ask God to empower you through his spirit to do two things. To turn from what is destructive and to turn to what is good. So in her craving, she stopped and prayed. She asked the Holy Spirit to help. She prayed for his strength. And then she sat there with him and she asked him to show her what she was feeling. Remember the importance of looking at what is, what is underlying the urges, the feelings. By not giving in to the temptation to eat right away and by inviting the Spirit, she understood her feelings of loneliness and stress that became clear to her. Then she asked the spirit to help open up to someone. Because remember that was the second problem she had. Bringing people in. Immediately the name of a friend came to mind. Who do you think brought that name to mind? She called a friend who helped her move past the struggle. This was a whole new world for Julie. For the first time she didn't have to fight the battle alone. She learned to depend on the spirit's strength to do what she needed to do. And she yielded to the answers that he provided. Thus she was both dependent and active. She was both dependent and active. He helped. She yielded to his help. She took steps to follow him by reaching out to the person that he made available. 
So whether it's in a sermon preparation that goes from Tuesday to a Friday, or whether it's in those ongoing responses to what the Spirit of God is showing you, wise ways of behaving, this is what it looks like to walk in the power of the Spirit. Now, what about that second phrase, to be led by the Spirit? Now I want you to think about situations in life where you don't know what you're going to do. Where you're at a fork in the road. In the previous examples, we already knew what we needed to do. I know what I need to do every week. Julie knew what she needed to know. But we needed to bring the spirit into the situation. But like Wade and his family deciding whether to come to Rexdale or not. Us deciding who to go. They are all forks in the road. Where leading becomes a more appropriate description for what the spirit does. Not just walking but leading. What does that look like? Here again, we can go to the flesh. Here again, we can just depend upon our own abilities. Or we can say, no, the flesh is opposed to the spirit. I need the spirit of God. Now, how does the spirit work in leading? Often I find, certainly in my life and many people's lives, he'll work through the word of God. But not as a result of careful study and analysis and whatnot. It's the word that comes with power unexpectedly. I shared with you three or four weeks ago in the sermon on joy, how in 1984 I entered that crisis experience in India and was pretty well set by September, thinking I need to quit my job and go back to atomic energy or do whatever. You know? And then came that powerful encounter with God through his, uh, one of his servants, where the sermon of Jesus turning the water into wine just completely reoriented my whole direction. That was a definite leading by the Spirit which came through the Word of God. And then I shared with you early in January... How last summer, God finally spoke to me and Sham very clearly and said, okay, now the time has come for you to step aside. Until then, my attitude to the elders board, if you will remember, had been, I'm here to serve for as long as you want me to do. Don't, you don't feel you have to replace me in any rush, but I'll go when you tell me to. But as it turned out, the spirit basically through David's story saying he went home to bless his family, that word landed on me with such force that it set in motion a whole sequence of events with our leadership team, first of all, starting from last October till now in April where you know very soon after Wade will be joining us in. So there are times when the leading comes through the word of God. But they can also come through impressions. That, don't, that doesn't have chapter and verse associated with it. But nonetheless are the strong impressions of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, the more you are walking with the Spirit, the more you will be sensitive to the impressions of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, back, back to this book. Um, this time the author himself talks about a situation when he found guidance from the Spirit, being led by the Spirit in a very tense situation. Where there was no time to open the Bibles and pray, you know, or at least not pray that way. I was once in a difficult business relationship with a particularly strong-willed businesswoman. Discussing even the smallest issues proved to be very taxing. One day we got into a particularly heated argument and were getting nowhere. I was losing my temper and finding myself having attitudes and feeling moods I have not felt since my teenage years. So I asked God's spirit to work in me and in the situation. I asked him to find an answer and a way out of the impasse. I prayed, please help me to see what to do. Please give me the words to say. Please show me how to fix this. The words I prayed were not as important as my feelings of absolute dependency on the Holy Spirit. What happened surprised me. The Holy Spirit showed me that it was I who had to listen to her and accept what she was saying to me. I had to hear and understand her position. I also had to see where I had been wrong in the situation and apologize. His answer was as clear as a bell. 
So I then asked the spirit to help me. You see, that's the next stage. Being led is one thing. Now you go back to walking in the spirit. Once you get the leading, now you know what to do. Back to walking in the spirit. Okay, spirit, you've shown me what to do. Now I need your help because I can't do this by myself. I don't remember how it happened, but we got past the problem. I needed his help both to show me what to do and to help me carry it out. That's a beautiful example of being led by the spirit at that moment. Not only does this happen in these on-the-spot, immediate kind of thing. By the way, as I was reading it, it occurred to me, what would happen to husbands and wives if they have adopted this model? Right in the middle of ang- conflicts. Okay, spirit, I need you to show me. I need you to help me. You know? But this kind of impression can also happen when there's a little bit more time. This Fruit of the Spirit series is a good example. When we as a staff were working on it and working on some of the logistical elements and stuff like that, one of the ideas, and I thought of it at first and run it by the staff, was to repeat what we did several years ago. Some of you were in this church eight or ten years ago might remember the time when I did the uh, spiritual formation series in the morning. And we actually did Beth Moore's Fruit of the Spirit at night. And the entire congregation did the, or we invited the people, and 350 people did it, did the workbook during the week, and then came on Sunday evenings to listen to her lecture. And I thought, oh, that would be a great thing to do again this time, you know. And so we talked about it as a staff. It seemed quite interesting. So we uh, asked for the elders for their input. And this time the elders didn't tell us what to do. They just said, here are a couple of things you need to keep in mind, but you guys decide. Since the, negative, the positive effects were obvious, the negative side had to do more with workload issues and things like that. So as we talked about it, all but one staff member felt it was a good idea. But we've learned to listen, to respect even one staff member's different opinion. So we just waited. We waited for a week. We said, you pray about it. Come back next week. And next week when we went around the table, every single one of us shared. And all of us this time agreed not to do it. Did we quote chapter and verse? No, I don't remember anybody quoting chapter and verse. But there was a definite growing impression throughout the week. And the Spirit guided seven or eight other staff members to all come around to this one person's way of thinking. It was not about winning and losing. It was just about being impressed by the Spirit of God. Let me give you a third example. This had to do with the younger people. So younger people who are here, don't tune us out. Remember what Jonathan Graff taught us many years ago? There's no junior Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit is available no matter what the age. This is the mother of a 13-year-old who told me how one of the things she'd been teaching him was that in those twilight zone hours in the morning when you first wake up, you know, you're, you know you're awake but your eyes aren't open yet. You know? She said, honey, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you in those times? So this little boy did. And the next day, this was the report he gave his mom. He said, mom, two verses of scripture came to my mind. He said, I don't know what they were. So he opened them up. And he said, oh, I read those two verses of scripture and I knew they were for my friend at school. So he said, but now I didn't know whether I should tell it to him privately or whether I should tell him in front of all of the friends. So he said, on the way to school, I asked the Holy Spirit to show me. He did what Julie did, right? And the Holy Spirit told me I need to tell it in front of everybody else. And so he did. And with much positive effect. So you see how this thing works, being led by the Spirit? Were so many different ways, so many different situations, intense business situations, a 13-year-old boy learning to listen to the Holy Spirit, a staff team working out an idea, all of it. Whether I deciding when to step aside, all of that is the leading of the Spirit of God coming to us. Now, what about keeping in step with the Spirit? Walking in the Spirit, that continuous thing, being led by the Spirit, is those fork in the road experiences. What is keeping in step with the Spirit? The Greek dictionary tells me that the word in the original language was often used of marching when people march together. 
So keep, you kind of keep in step. I remember the little exercises we used to have to do in my, in my university days. We had compulsory physical training, you know. And you all, you know, if one person went left, everybody had to go left. And then especially it became extremely important when you had to turn around. You know. Everybody had to be in step. What would happen if one person put the left foot forward while the other person would bring the right foot forward? Or moving backwards. You'd get total chaos. And suddenly it occurred to me, keeping in step is all about timing. That's what it is. You have to march on time. That's why there was a downbeat of that drum that told us how to march. That's what set the time. So keeping in step with the Spirit adds another dimension to it. It's not just the continual walking. It's not just the being led. But act as soon as you're told. Don't run ahead of him, which is presumption. Oh, the Spirit told me. Or don't lag behind, which is, ah, did he really say that? That's what Wade was saying, right? Fear, I'm not quite sure, but enough peace to move ahead. That's keeping in step with the Spirit. Let me give you some examples of that. In, the, in some of the examples I've given you already, that was so clear. Julie had to act at that moment. Call this friend as soon as the name came. That guy in the business transaction at that moment had to change his attitude. But keeping in step with the Spirit is, 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 a, is a, something that just continues to uh, work itself to everything. Let me go back to this uh, series once again. How that happened. I knew that this was the last series that I was going to, going to be preaching as, as a series here. And so I'd given it some thought. And in, the, in our October staff planning, which is when we usually do the pre- preaching calendar for the next six months, it was all in place. And I was going to preach from Daniel. I've been wanting to study Daniel for a long time. Daniel is a, is a secular man in the secular world, applies to most people. This is what you do from 9 to 5, supposedly, every day of the week, five days a week. So I've been wanting to study Daniel and to preach, as well as, well as kids going to university. It's so applicable. So I was really excited about that. It was all in place until Solemn Assembly came. And in Solemn Assembly, we heard very clearly on the Friday night, what God was speaking to us was all about becoming a holy orchard. Uh, people who would bear the fruit of the Spirit. So guess, we had to go back and change the preaching calendar. There was no time to dilly-dally. Because there was lots of downstream work that had to be done as well. So timing became all, all important in here. And as I was writing this part of the sermon, another story came to mind. My brother-in-law, Ravi, many of you know him, or heard of him if you don't know him. Um, his call to the ministry is a perfect example of timing and keeping in step with the Spirit. Uh, at the time that it happened, he was actually studying to be a hotel manager. He was working at the Westbury Hotel downtown, Toronto at that time. And as part of his training, he had to also do a two-week stint as a bartender. And he doesn't drink himself, but he, I guess he was doing this. So he was, by the way, he was very well equipped and, and well suited for a career in that, in that whole hospitality industry. But I guess he was mixing his drinks so well that people started coming back for seconds and thirds. Anyway, that was fine. And it was around Christmas time, and so the family went to People's Church for the Christmas message. And Dr. O.J. Smith, who was the founder of that church, was preaching. O.J. was in his 80s at that time, still ramrod straight, booming voice. But the mind would sometimes wander every now and then. And so right in the middle of a sermon on, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, which is a perfectly valid Christmas text, out came a reference from Proverbs, Woe to him that giveth to any man to drink. The rest of us laughed like you did. But for Ravi, it landed like a thunderbolt on his head. So he went back on Monday morning and he said to his boss, I can't do this anymore. He said, you have to do it. He said, can I skip it? He said, no. He said, then I have to quit. And the rest, as you know, is history. What would have happened if he'd waited a week? Ah, let me think about this. By then he would have finished his stint and the force of it might have gone. 
And literally the world might be a different place for many people. Keeping in step with the Spirit. Making sense to you? Walking in the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Keeping in step with the Spirit. This is Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is not just about the birth of the church, although it is. Pentecost is a shift of an, a whole way of living from the law to the Spirit. That's what Paul said. You now bear fruit in a whole new way to God. You are dead to the Spirit, dead to the law, alive to the Spirit. You bear fruit and you serve God, not in the old way of the written law, but in the new way of the Spirit. Let me just close with some practical implications for us. First of all, for all of us who are in leadership, whether we are staff members or elders or life group leaders or parents training children or mentors dealing with people one-on-one, the single most important gift you can give to them is to learn to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to have this conviction that law and grace will not mix together. Grace and truth will. Law and grace will. Flesh is opposed to the Spirit. We need to be convinced about the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. That the Spirit is able to guide. And so the greatest gift we need to give them is not to give them our do's and don'ts. On these gray areas. And confuse them. But to take them to God. Take them to the Word. Through the Spirit of God. And teach them what it's like to be led by the Spirit. And to um, keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what areas of life do we need to live like this more than anywhere else? Well, the text tells us. Notice the emphasis on relationship. It's mostly about relationships. Uh, When it comes to the works of the flesh, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Then look at the ones. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, and then drunkenness, orgies. You know the ones on the either side of the yellow? Don't bother most of us. But those middle eight, they cause constant trouble. Eight out of the fifteen of the works of the flesh are all relational stuff. For people who are morally pure as we normally think of purity. Those are the things that come easily to us. Those middle eight are constant harassments. And then the fruit of the spirit, seven of the nine of them are relational. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So, it would seem that it is mostly in the area of our relationships more than anywhere else that we are to live this way. Walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit. So, what would happen? What would happen, staff members, board members... What would happen if in any meeting that we got together? Because the context of this whole thing is relationships within the church. What would happen if we began with these affirmations? Anytime there was a tenseness in a situation, we affirm, the Spirit is our leader. The Spirit is sufficient. I need to walk by, be led by, and keep in step with the Spirit. What fruit of the Spirit do I most need to exhibit now? Spirit come, Spirit show. Spirit help. What would happen if we lived this way? Hmm? What would happen if the chairman of a board or someone chairing a meeting? Or maybe even a family tension situation. What if they said, the spirit is our leader, guys. The spirit is sufficient. And we need to walk by, be led by, and keep in step by the spirit. 
What fruit of the Spirit do I most need to exhibit now? And then, as you have asked those questions, Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, show me. Holy Spirit, help me. As I said, apply this to marriage. Apply this to one-on-one relationships anywhere. If we could only remember these three things. If in the times of tension, we could stop and say, can you say these affirmations with me for a minute, please? The Spirit is our leader. The Spirit is sufficient. I need to walk by be led by and keep in step with the Spirit. What fruit of the Spirit do I most need to exhibit now? Holy Spirit, come. Spirit, show. And Spirit, help. Now normally, this is where I'd finish the message. But last night, and the details will take too long. There will be another message in themselves. But something happened last night. I went back home and I was continuing studying what I'd been studying in the afternoon and very quickly, uh, the particular stuff that I was listening to at that time, I was actually having more arguments with the person who was speaking. I was listening to it on, on a DVD. I was disagreeing with the way they were handling the text. All kinds of trouble. I didn't like the applications. And, and, but I couldn't turn it off. I didn't realize what was happening, but the Spirit was actually living out the message. I didn't get freedom and, until finally, finally at one point, she made a particular application, then I stopped. I still didn't know why until this morning. This morning when I walk in and I started to pray about it, God said, this is why I asked you to wait. I didn't let you until you finished it. Because the point this person was making and the point at which I got to was that there are some things that can stop the flow of the Spirit in our lives. It's available. This is the new age in which we live in. But you know the New Testament talks about sins that squelch the Spirit. There are four in particular that the New Testament mentions and you've heard this before from me too. This is a good way to remind us. We can grieve the Spirit through disunity in the body of Christ. We can quench the Spirit through unbelief, uh, through rigidity and pride. We can discount the Spirit by saying, ah, you know, that's just so much hoo-ha. Some of the songs we sang earlier on, you can dismiss them. Or you can lie to the Spirit, ananize it, and this happened in the material realm of our lives. When they promised to give away, give away everything that they got from the sale of a house, but they pretended to do it all. I don't know, we never don't, we don't know the motives, we don't know why, but this is what they did. And Paul and the, Luke calls it lying to the Spirit. So quenching the Spirit, grieving the Spirit, lying to the Spirit, and discounting the Spirit are some ways that we can block the power of the Spirit. And so if we're going to be walking in the Spirit, if we're going to be led by the Spirit, if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, we also need to make sure that these things that can be quenching, grieving, discounting, or lying to the Spirit are also out of our way. So I just want to give us a minute or two as the worship team comes and takes up their place to lead us in their last song. Can you just think about that for a minute, folks? Is there anything in my life that I'm quenching the power of this, that is getting in the way of walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit? Keeping in step with the Spirit. And it may not be. There may be only one or two of you for which this is important. There was one thing that I needed to deal with right away this morning. And then for the rest of us who say, no, as honestly as I know, I'm not doing any of those things to quench the Spirit. You need to ask yourself, is this how I'm living? When things get tense in a relational context, which of these things are missing? An affirmation that the Spirit is leader... That the spirit is sufficient and my own wisdom and skills are not that I need to walk by, be led by and keep in step with the spirit right now. 
Do I think about what fruit of the Spirit I need to exhibit at this time towards this person or these people? And do I then say, Spirit come, Spirit show, Spirit help? What do I need to put into my way of living? In John chapter 7, Jesus said this, On the last and greatest day of the feast, He said in a loud voice, If anyone thirsts, let him come. Let him drink. For out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said this he spoke of the Holy Spirit that had not yet been given. Because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But Jesus has been glorified. He is risen. The Spirit has come down. And so it is something that is available for us today. And what he said was for whoever believes. Out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Earlier on we sang I believe, I believe, I believe. What is belief? Belief is not just an intellectual assent to facts about Jesus. To believe means to thirst, to come and to keep on drinking. And so I just want to bless you with one word, thirst. May you be thirsty for Jesus. May you come, may you drink and may out of your innermost being flow rivers of living water. Go in Jesus' name.